Before we get started on today's podcast, I'd like to fix a mistake that was in the last episode. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez was actually not, in fact, the first woman to hold the NXT Women's Championship and one half of the NXT Tag Team Championships. That was, in fact, Ember Moon. Uh, the commentators made the mistake as well. They also corrected themselves in the NXT TakeOver Night 2 last night. I just thought I'd correct myself here as well. With that being said, it is now time to discuss NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Night 2. Just like last night, we were treated to a match on the NXT TakeOver pre-show, but this time it was a tag team match, a number one contenders match between Breezango and Drake, Maverick and Killian Dane. Breezango came out using their usual flamboyance and funky costumes they've really stuck with the wrestlemania theme of pirates this year even though stand and deliver was slightly different they really do like to bring in as many different aspects as they can and they always like to try and be as entertaining as possible drake maverick and killian dane are a team that really couldn't be more different if they tried uh drake tends to err more towards the entertainment side he's the much smaller of the two and possibly could make a good member of brizango should they really want to go down that route however i really doubt they will but killian dane you know he's your big irishman he's got the size and he really has no time for the entertainment that drake maverick is trying to bring into it he's much more serious and just really wants to get out there and get the job done all four of these men are absolutely fantastic wrestlers. Um, Tyler Breeze likes to employ kind of mind games, just not seem to be taking the match too seriously. Getting a bit of a hip swivel and when he was countering an attempted roll-up and it really just tries to get into the head of the other person and makes you really think, why, why are you doing this? I'm trying to beat you. Stop dancing above me. Breeze kept his pirate outfit on for 99, if not 100%, of the match and Killian Dane was not impressed by the fact that the pirate hat was even brought anywhere near him. Like I said, his entertainment aspect really is not a part of the match that he is going for. He just wants to get out there, do his thing and then go. To the point where he will throw his own tag team partner at a wrestler like Fandango just to try and get some form of upper hand. In this match we saw a much more serious side of Breezango and they stuck with isolating the smaller man in Drake Maverick and using a massive series of double teams to really try and wear him down before he could even think about making the tag to the big man. They used a large variety of holds and Irish whips into the corner just to really wear down on the midsection and try and take as much of the oxygen away from Drake Maverick as they could. But luckily for Drake Maverick, his quickness really came into handy when he was trying to get past Breezango and kind of had to do a quick sidestep and actually run round the side of the ring just to get the big man back in. Killian Dane, once he was in the ring, did not waste any time in regaining control. He managed to use a combo which I really do like, the Yurinagi Sentong combo on Breeze, and it really allowed him to take control, flooring Breeze first and literally just flattening him with his back. It's nothing fancy, it just hurts. Killian Dane then proceeded to further demonstrate his pure power when he managed to throw Fandango over his head while Samoan dropping Tyler Breeze and literally taking up both men all on his own. 
the rest of the match was really a good back and forth. Um, it was full of fast tags, double teams, and just anything to try and get the advantage over the other person. Maverick managed to hit a super Hurricane Rana off the top rope, and he celebrated a bit prematurely, but Killian Dane was having literally nothing to do with this. He grabbed Drake Maverick and literally just power-bombed him and onto Fandango, and that's one of the best double-team moves. Drake isn't necessarily a willing participant in it, but it helps him get the win. After the match, Killian Dane did possibly show a little bit more of a playful side when he got one of Fandango's pirate's hat and put it on Maverick's head. And it doesn't sound like much, but maybe we're seeing a bit more of a playful side come out of um, Killian Dane, especially after the match is over. You know, he goes in, gets his business done. Maybe we'll see. Their music, still pretty cool though. The first match on the main card of Stand and Deliver Night 2 is one that, quite rightly so, has received an awful lot of hype and build-up. It is the ladder match between Jordan Devlin and Santos Escobar to try and determine who is the true Cruiserweight Champion. Now, for those that don't know, a bit of backstory to this match. Jordan Devlin was the Cruiserweight Championship before the whole world went on its head, and... In the meantime, because he couldn't travel, NXT decided to have an interim and cruiserweight championship over in America and have a tournament to determine who that was going to be. Now, throughout the tournament, the word interim disappeared off of the championship tournament's name. And it seems to be, especially in Devlin's eyes, that the winner of that match and tournament, who later turned out to be Santos Escobar, um, was going to be the official cruiserweight champion. And obviously, this did not sit well with Jordan Devlin, as him not being able to compete wasn't exactly his fault. Jordan Devlin came into this match with a lot to prove, um, not to himself, but to Santos, as if to say, you know, I really am the true cruiserweight champion. But at the same time, Santos, he's a lot newer on the NXT scene than Devlin is. Uh, he's made his mark, and especially since unmasking, and he really does want to keep that emphasized as much as he can. And honestly, I was a bit surprised to see that he came out on his own to the ring and didn't have his cronies behind him. Although these two men are perfectly capable of doing quite a lot of technical grappling and holds, this is a ladder match with a lot on the line. I personally couldn't see it happening. You knew it was going to be high-flying and hard-hitting. And yet that really did not disappoint. That is definitely the route that they went down with their attacks. Devlin really came out of the gate strong in this match. Uh, he used a good combination of his strikes and his high-flying ability to gain a very strong early lead. Santos really didn't seem to get out of the gates very much. He did manage to floor Devlin with a nice elbow strike, but... He couldn't capitalise because as soon as he tried to do anything else, Devlin was right back up and right back in control. Jordan Devlin then remained in control until the match spilled to the outside. And Devlin was first to get a ladder out. And he seemed to take a bit too long after sliding Santos back into the ring. And it looked like Santos was about to regain control with a sliding drop kick into the ladder. But 
the Irish ace being the quick thinker that he is, literally managed to lift the ladder over Escobar as he came out and then turn around and just simply, nothing of, nothing fancy, hit Escobar in the face with the ladder. Santos Escobar was not one to take that beating lying down though. He did eventually manage to get control by using the ladder as a very effective weapon that he literally threw one into the back of Jordan Devlin while he was trying to climb up his other ladder to pull down both belts. And he also used the environment to his advantage, uh, literally powerbombing Jordan Devlin into the barricade, which I thought possibly could have broken. Um, the ladder, as it usually does, was one of the most popular weapons in that match. Uh, they're big, kind of hard to move at times, but when they hit, they are very, very effective and could really keep your opponent down for as long as you need to finally try and get the win. But the heart of the Irish ace, Jordan Devlin really refused to stay down, but this just seemed to anger Santos Escobar and bring out a much needed form of aggression. Not that he's exactly been passive in his other matches, but with so much on the line, they needed to tap into that place that they really possibly hadn't gone to before. This is where the arrogance of um, Santos Escobar came into play. Uh, he really tried to trash talk Jordan Devlin, but he was wasting a lot of time and not capitalising like he needed to. And Devlin really was then able to regain control. And all he did, all he needed to do, was throw a ladder into Santos Escobar's face. Santos really did try to remain in control, but Jordan Devlin used a nice backdrop escape for whatever move Santos was going for. And then when Santos again tried to take control back with a running high knee, uh, Devlin was able to counter it with a standing Spanish fly. And this match really became a constant back and forth of one-upsmanship. Uh, Devlin used the ladder to literally level Santos and it looked like this could be the point where the Irish ace could have turned the match around and got the win. The moonsault off the top of the ladder from Jordan Devlin really did look like, you know, this is it now. Devlin is in firm control, but as, yeah, I have to say, as was expected, Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza both came down to the ring and just completely tried to take out Jordan Devlin. Uh, they made it spill to the outside. And the beatdown was just too much for Jordan Devlin to even consider coming back from. Jordan Devlin did have one last hurrah um, near the end. He threw a ladder at Santos Escobar to stop him reaching up for the belts. Um, and put his own ladder next to him, going right to the top. But absolutely nailed a Spanish fly off the top, taking both men out and taking quite a while for both men to recover because that is a very high impact, especially this late into the match. Um, they then both were on top of the ladder and Santos pushed Jordan Devlin off the top, landing on top of a ladder that was set up in the corner Ladder completely smashed, and you could see the ladder was broken half. Devlin possibly was too, and even though it took him a bit longer to capitalise and reach up, Santos Escobar was very successful in winning the Cruiserweight Championship. As well earned a victory as this was for Santos Escobar, it has raised a question for me, because NXT UK 
is taking off very very quickly and things are starting to return back to the way they are we've seen a new tag team championship in the american nxt brand is it possible that we could see a united kingdom cruiserweight championship i think it would add more hype to the brand uh more prestige and possibly something we'll see in the future maybe not we'll see i'd enjoy it either way our second match of the main card is another championship match. This time it's the Women's Tag Team Championships. You have the champions Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart defending against The Ways, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. The Way have potential to be a very good team in the end, but they just seem to be struggling at the moment to find almost their identity. They seem to have a lot going on with the involvement of Dexter Loomis in Indy Hartwell and... Austin Theory's lives, and their focus just seems to be a little bit misplaced. But then you have the champions, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart. They are one of the most unique teams I think I've seen in a while. Their personalities are just amazing. Um, the tank that they ride down to the ring, absolutely love. And really, I think if a rivalry does get intense, could use that as a weapon in a match, which I personally would love to see. Obviously, we have seen Blackheart use the tank's cannon as a weapon in kind of like promos with like foam darts and things like that. But maybe, maybe it becomes something more along the line. We'll see. The way definitely knew the best way to start this match off. They struck first. They struck fast. Barely even waited for the bell to ring. Um, Definitely using a good combination of double teams to keep Shotzi Blackheart isolated and wear her down. And that's really what you need to do in any tag team match, but especially one where both of your opponents can just strike you from anywhere. They're so unpredictable and unique in what they do. A large variety of ways that the champions can hurt you. So using your combination of strikes, double teams, submissions... Uh, grapple holds and grounding and pounding really was the only way that the way could have started this match off. With champions resolve, Shotzi Blackheart was eventually able to tag Ember Moon back in, and she brought in a much needed change of pace for the champions. Uh, she brought her speed into it, mixed with her strikes, a nice little road dog tribute with the wavy arms just before the third strike in the combination. Really good. Um, she regained the control there and Shotzi was able to stop a lot of interference going on from the challengers and really try and keep the champions in the control that they have managed to take. Sticking in the running theme that seems to be going through most of the matches over the last two shows, uh, this match was again very back and forth. No one had control for a very extended period of time. It looked like they were just going to dominate for the entire time. And one of the big almost turning points was the Tower of Doom. You had you know, three people on the turnbuckle and Indy Hartwell just powerbombed a lot of them. She didn't care that Candice LeRae was there. Her opponents were on the top and they were going to take the much higher brunt of that impact. Indy Hartwell then was able to use this power move as she was the only one that didn't take any of the damage from it to her advantage and continue to try to dominate the champions. She managed to hit a pretty impressive spine buster and that very nearly did get the win 
and bring the championships to the way. But being champions means you don't stay down very easily. So Blackheart and Moon remained in the match and eventually did regain control. And then Shotzi Blackheart took the idea to try and take out both members of the way at the same time while they were on the outside. Ember Moon stood on the middle rope to create more of a gap. Blackheart dives seamlessly through Moon's legs, but she seemed to land more in between her opponents rather than properly connecting with them, possibly a placement issue on the way's part. But Blackheart really did take quite a tumble and quite a solid hit into the barricade and really I was surprised she got up as quickly as she did. Ember Moon though, being the fantastic tag team partner that she is for Blackheart, saw that you know maybe things didn't particularly go the way they anticipated with that particular move. So as soon as Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell got back up, Ember Moon was already on the top rope and took them both out with a cross body from the top rope straight to the outside. This match then pretty quickly returned back to the ring and we saw more fantastic displays of double team prowess that we know both teams are more than capable of doing. Um, the teamwork was very important for breaking up pittens and the resilience of both teams really came into effect with the match having so many false finishes that really it could have gone anyway. The resolve, resilience and determination of the champions really was the mainstay in this match. Ember Moon was able to take out both members of the way with a double equipped stunner off the top rope and Shotzi Blackheart followed that up with an into the ball pit sent on to Indy Hartwell and you know you might end up kicking out of one of those moves but you're definitely not going to kick out of both of them and as a tag team finisher I think it is a brilliant way to end the match and that was clear in the fact that it helped Moon and Blackheart retain their NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. Not sure who their next challengers are going to be, we'll probably find that out over the next few weeks, possibly on Tuesday, but it did seem to me at least that in the background, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell, they took the loss quite hard and LeRae seemed frustrated. Maybe there could be a bit of dissension, you know, things haven't been particularly going well for them lately, but that remains to be seen and I guess we'll find out how that goes, hopefully. Johnny Gargano's match goes a little bit better and the way can get some form of momentum. The NXT North American Championship match was really one that a lot of people have been looking forward to and really could have gone either way. Bronson Reed, the challenger, was coming into this match with a lot of momentum as well as size and strength on his side. Reed, as we know, last night won the Gauntlet Eliminator match and you know, he needs to use that momentum and capitalise on it to really try and get the upper hand over Gargano. But Johnny Gargano, he, he's Johnny Takeover. You know, he is the one that you would never bet against on a Takeover pay-per-view. He has one of the best records there is. And also, he didn't have to compete last night, so he's coming into this match fresh because that Eliminator match was not a short one. And only 24 hours removed you know Reed may be suffering some slight side effects from having to compete that recently and let's be honest even if this was a regular one-on-one -on -one match that no competitor had competed any time recently 
Johnny Gargano has Jake Atlas in his corner, and that is always something that all of his opponents need to be on the lookout for. The champion, Johnny Gargano, tried to start the match off quick and use his speed to try and get an early advantage, but Reed, he was too big. You know, Johnny could not take him down. He went for a Harukamrana on the big man, which kind of surprised me. But what surprised me more was Bronson Reed's counter. He literally cartwheeled out of it. And while Gargano was staring at him in shock, a single shot to the face was all that it took to take the champion down to his floor. Gargano continued to struggle to make much of an impact against Bronson Reed because the pure size, strength and toughness really made a lot of Gargano's strikes almost pointless. Uh, He went for the slingshot spear back into the ring and he's won matches with that move but last night he literally bounced off of Bronson Reed and Reed maybe took a step back but That was about it, and Gargano ended up taking the worst of it as he landed on the canvas back in the ring. Eventually, though, the determination of Johnny Takeover was enough to take Bronson Reed off of his feet, and Reed then went to the outside of the ring, and this looked like the turning point for Johnny Gargano. He went for a crossbody on the outside, but, I mean, we kind of saw this one coming as soon as he jumped over. Bronson Reed just simply caught him out of midair. It looked like Reed was possibly about to go for a Samoan drop, power slam. We'll never know because Johnny Gargano was able to slip down the back of Reed and push him into the corner of the announce table, really winding and tampering the ribs of the challenger, Bronson Reed. The impact to the midsection of Bronson Reed really did slow him down. I mean, the corner of the announce table, it, it, it's a proper table, you know, and it's going to hurt and make it a lot harder to breathe. Uh, they did eventually go back into the ring, and Bronson Reed went to use the sit-down splash that he'd used last night to great effect, but Gargano saw it coming, and he managed to roll out the way, which meant that Bronson Reed then landed on his tailbone on the floor and the impact must have shot up his spine and winded him even more. Reed didn't really let this slow him down, Uh, he continued to try and bring as much power moves as was physically possible. Uh, He slammed Johnny Gargano and attempted multiple choke slams, Um, but every big move you could see was putting a lot of strain on the already damaged midsection and seemed to be wearing away at Bronson Reed the more the match carried on. Reed now managed to be in almost full control and decided now would be a good time to bring Gargano back into the ring after he had just previously tried to escape, um, but not bring him in in a conventional manner. No, that's too easy. He's going to try and bring him in with a suplex from the middle rope so Johnny Gargano comes from the outside on the apron into the ring. But, as you can imagine, that requires a lot of core strength to get an entire opponent up and then over you. And honestly, Bronson Reed just did not have enough of it left. Gargano then managed to use Bronson Reed's exhaustion to his advantage. Uh, He kicked the legs out and Reed remained sat on the middle rope. And Gargano came back into the ring, nailing Reed with a backstabber, two knees directly to the back, out of the corner. And that really had to take out what little breath had to have been left. 
but also could have had quite an impact on Gargano's knees because that's not a small man that he has just taken down. Johnny Gargano then returns to the striking game as a way to try and wear down his challenger even more. Um, but these strikes to the head really just seemed to fire Bronson Reed up and he was able to use an adrenaline rush of sorts to hit a suplex on Gargano and hope that he could regain some form of control. We could still see Austin Theory on the outside and to this point he had not got involved which I thought was pretty good. You know, It's a championship match, you don't really want to have any controversy going into it and it just kind of... Well, it means he can stay out there for longer and watch Gargano's back if he really is truly needed. Bronson Reed now fueled by adrenaline again. Uh, he tried the splash for a second time, but again Gargano was able to move out of the way. And this time he capitalised by rolling him up with a crucifix pin. And sadly for Gargano, that was not enough to get the win and end the match. So Gargano decided the next best thing to do would be a poison runner, a nice reverse hurricane runner, dropping Bronson Reed on his head and immediately locking in the Gargano escape submission hold. And personally, I thought this was where the match was going to end. But Bronson Reed was able to use his size advantage over Gargano to pull himself over to the ropes and then take both men outside of the ring where... Okay, he might not have the best advantage now because Gargano is a master of his environment, but he also can't lose, at least not by pinfall or submission anyway. This was a strategy that worked quite well in the long run for the challenger Bronson Reed because Gargano was now thinking, what have I got to do? I literally hit my best combination of moves and now we're outside the ring, not exactly where I wanted to go. But you know, he was able to get back in the ring not the way he was anticipating. Uh, he was lifted over Bronson Reed's shoulders and thrown, splash mountain, straight into the centre of the ring. Not the best of landings, but hey, you're not on the outside anymore. The challenger, now seeing his advantage after such an impactful move, decided to climb to the top rope and try and hit his tsunami splash. Sadly, again, this was not to be. Uh, Gargano managed to move out of the way kind of maybe preempting what was about to happen but and then Gargano regained control uh, managed to hit a super kick that floored again an already groggy Bronson Reed moments after this we saw the inevitable if not delayed involvement of Jake Atlas at ringside Bronson Reed had managed to again try and regain control over Johnny Gargano and had managed to hit quite an impactful powerbomb in the corner, and that really looked like it was going to be the end for Gargano. And Reed took as much advantage as he could and quickly went into the cover. Jake Atlas at ringside saw this was about to happen and used Reed's covering of the referee's viewpoint to his advantage to put Johnny Gargano's feet on the bottom rope and break the pinfall, saving the match for both of them. All three men were now on the outside and Bronson Reed understandably was very annoyed that his chance to become champion had just been taken away by someone that wasn't even involved in the match. And he used Johnny to throw into Austin Theory and tried to take both of them out. Honestly, the big men like using the smaller men as weapons and I quite enjoy seeing it too. 
Bronson then tried to capitalise and take both of them out with a dive after running back into the ring and coming to the outside. But I believe that Johnny Gargano managed to move out of the way and only Austin Theory was taken out. Both competitors, champion and challenger, you could see were almost running on empty at this point. They tried pretty much everything that they could. Johnny Gargano even had his one final beat DDT countered and he nearly lost off of that when Bronson Reed managed to get a two count and it was a very, very close two count at that. The two men then started to trade super kicks and Bronson Reed got the advantage, the stronger legs definitely helping there, decided to go for a moonsault instead of his splash and again possibly the running on empty, the damage to the midsection, whatever it was the cause, uh, Gargano was able to roll in and again the dive from Bronson Reed missed. Gargano used his ring smarts to take advantage of this and not hit one final beat but hit two final beats and he managed to finally get the win over his very impressive challenger. This match was very hard fought, um, obviously we did see the involvement from Austin Theory on the outside, but Gargano's game plan and lack of previous match the night before was a great advantage and I would be hard pressed to say they really would have gone either way. Uh, both men were deserving to win the match, but where there's a will, there's a way and Gargano is the way. The last sanctioned match of the evening was the NXT Championship match, Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor. Now this match had a lot riding on it for both members. Um, Cross was undefeated in singles competitions and Finn Balor has never lost a championship at NXT TakeOver events. So as the saying goes, someone's O has gotta go. Balor turned out to be 14-1 and one going into this match in takeover matches in general. And Cross, like I said, singles match? Forget about it. You're not going to beat this man. On his way to the ring tonight, Cross seems to bring a much higher level of intensity, which is saying something because this man is intensity personified. You look at him, he is tall, he's ripped as hell. Um, you know, he is someone that if you met in a dark alley, you turn the other way because he's already thought about how he's going to end you. And he came into this match with a lot to prove because much like Finn Balor, he won his championship last time but immediately had to relinquish it because of an injury that I believe required surgery. And he really needed to get back to where he was to prove that it wasn't a fluke that he won it and when he does win it he is not going to let go. Finn Balor came out with his usual air of confidence. He had literally painted a target in the form of a red X on his chest because he knows he is the target on the, in the company and that is how he likes it. He loves being the hunted and just trying to see who's going to come for him next and how he can take them down. Honestly, as soon as the bell rang, I expected these two to rush each other. But I'm really glad that they didn't. And that stare down at the start really added to the tension that the match had already bought. You were thinking, who is going to blink first? Who's going to flinch? And 
Neither man flinched first. They both ran towards each other at the exact same time. But sadly for the champion, Balor, carrying Cross is just too powerful. His height and strength advantage was too much. And Balor really did struggle to get any form of momentum going right away. Cross was able to drop Balor to the floor with a single shot pretty much every single time that he wanted to. And each time finger up, you could see that he was laughing. He was enjoying this because this is the type of challenge that Finn Balor, he says he came back to NXT for. And with the powerhouses and the roster on NXT, he knew he was going to get it. And, you know, maybe the happy side of Finn Balor got the better of him uh, when he decided that his next best move would be to slap Karrion Cross in the face. You know, he reacted in the way most of us could if we had the ability and the strength, literally throwing Balor across the ring. It was very, very questionable strategy, but maybe trying to get into the head and really bring out those emotions of Karrion Cross, because an emotional fighter can often be a sloppy fighter and maybe this is the strategy that Finn Balor was going for. The strategy did seem to work at first because Finn Balor was able to get Cross into the ropes and really use the ropes to keep Cross in place while also using it as a weapon to try and almost seemingly dislocate the shoulder of Karrion Cross. Because you take away a weapon that big from a man that big, and yeah, he has others, but it's going to hamper his ability to throw you, strike you, lock in whatever he wants. And it's a good strategy, I think. Bala then was able to use his gain momentum from the ropes as a weapon to lock in a potential submission hold on Karrion Cross, but... This was still very, very early on into the match and possibly a questionable thing again by Finn Balor. But, you know, if you have the advantage, you might as well take it. Um, but again, it wasn't enough really to keep Cross down and he managed to rush Balor into the corner and literally nail him with an elbow lariat combination and then throw him halfway across the ring. Finn then became almost like a dog with a bone. Uh, he saw the arm as a target and once getting back up from being beeled halfway across the ring, and again locked in another armbar. Cross tried to use his power to break out again, but Finn, almost rabid, tried his best not to let go, refusing to even relinquish the hold for a second and causing much more damage when the arm was now clearly the best target that he had. With Cross in the corner, Finn Balor hit a shot straight to the liver. And he didn't really recognise it at first until Cross tried to capitalise running out the corner. The second he moved, he dropped. And I was genuinely concerned. As they mentioned, flashbacks to Kyle O'Reilly, who was out of action for a fair bit of time because liver shots can do genuine, serious damage. And... Yeah, it's one of those moments I was like, I really hope he hasn't come back from injury to get injured again in his second of two championship matches. But as is the great thing with most wrestlers nowadays and big men especially, the fight or flight instinct appeared to kick in. Uh, adrenaline was flowing through Cross's veins and you could see 
that he was not going to go down properly without a fight. Uh, the kicks started to come in hard and fast, taking Balor down literally as if he was nothing. Finn Balor tried his absolute best to fight back against the now seemingly enraged Kyrian Cross, but every strike that he tried to do, Cross was almost ignoring as if it wasn't happening. He was so angry and now determined that nothing Balor could do seemed to have any effect whatsoever. Cross then managed to pull out a suplex and powerbomb combination to re-emphasize how dominant he is genuinely able to be. But just like a lot of dominant people, especially when you know things are going on in your head, you're not necessarily thinking properly and you just want to let everyone know what is about to happen, Cross called his shot for the Doomsday Saito suplex. And you know, this was quite a big mistake because Finn Balor can counter pretty much anything on a moment's notice, but even easier when he knows what is about to happen. And that that's exactly what we saw. Balor countered it and struck again to the lower abdomen and locked in the abdominal stretch. And that is literally one of the worst things that Cross could have had happen to him with the previous damage already to the liver. Cross was eventually able to hip toss his way out of the abdominal stretch and these two continued to exchange shots. Uh, Finn Balor seemed to be getting the advantage again, went for his shotgun drop kick into the corner but Cross saw it come in and managed to move out the way and then hitting his doomsday suplex. Uh, but he was really unable to follow up on this because of how long the match had already been going on at this point. Balor then saw a potential weakness and opening in his challenger cross and decided that one shotgun dropkick into the corner was really not going to be enough and it really wasn't because cross refused to go down. Uh, he nailed a second one and then decided it was time to go up to the top rope and hit the coup de grace and the double stomp straight to the chest from the top. Very few people ever kick out and you could hear the crowd acknowledging that this match has just come to a fantastic end. Also you would have thought somehow Cross was able to kick out at two and a half, possibly two and seven eighths to use the expression they like to use and just immediately locked in the rear naked choke and again we thought Balor was going to be out at this point but he managed to roll his legs back, roll through, escape the hold and hit a second double stomp onto the chest and you can really see now that the intensity level has picked up. Both people know they have hit possibly their best shots and it's only a matter of time until one of them is unable to kick out anymore. Finn Balor saw that this may be his last opportunity to get some kind of victory over a man like Cross and he went back to his original game plan. He locked in another chest submission, targeting the arm as well. Both parts have already been affected, but Cross nearly got to the ropes. And he looked like he was about to possibly tap until he made contact with Scarlet. And she was trying to hype him up the best way she can. Honestly, at parts, I thought she was chanting some 
weird spell of sorts but whatever she was saying to him it really got into the head of cross and some rage spilled out of him and he absolutely connected several times with furious elbow strikes right to the back of Finn Balor's neck hit another doomsday suplex and Balor he, he was out on his feet at this point you could have tapped the man over and pinned him but Cross didn't want that he hit another phenomenal elbow right to the back of the head Balor out cold Cross is your new champion two time NXT heavyweight champion and still undefeated in one on one competition And now we come to your unsanctioned main event. Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly in a rivalry that has reached levels that are much, much more than personal and has gotten so intense that NXT have had to waive all liability for what these two men are going to do to each other. This match has to be one of the most intensely built-up matches and rivalries that I remember seeing in quite some time, especially since the PG-13 era. You have had betrayal, police involvement, literally trying to end careers. And honestly, I didn't expect to see something this intense. Um, I don't fully understand why... They broke up the Undisputed Era. But, you know, if this is the method that they're using to hype both men as singles competitors, then, okay, it may not be needed. But, oh my word, it worked and it was effective. Neither man came out of that match looking weak at all. And now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of what actually happened. Even from the start, you could tell this match was going to be something special. Uh, they had to have security in the middle of the ring to keep the two apart. And again, I can't remember the last time I saw something like that under the WWE banner. It may have been CM Punk, John Cena, that sort of time. But that just proves to you what point this rivalry has actually got to. Now, both men came down very intently, very intense to the ring, and obviously they both have different music. Now, Adam Cole's new theme, I kind of hope he's not going to keep it. Um, it doesn't really fit his entrance, in my opinion, purely because we don't have the audible boom that we're used to every time him and the Undisputed Era used to come down to the ring. I understand he wants to change that aspect of his career, but he still kept the motion and him saying it in his entrance. And, you know, maybe with a crowd there where they can all say it, it'll be slightly different. But that's honestly just my opinion and not a big thing. Now, this match, we knew from the very start, it's not going to be technical. It's going to be a fight, an absolute slugfest. They were dead-eyeing each other right from the start. And, you know, possibly trying to think, what are they going to do first? These are guys that have known each other for over a decade. And you travel the road together. You've been friends, you've been enemies. But you know each other inside and out. And you almost know what they're going to do before they know it. 
And that means someone's going to have to try and pull out something that they possibly haven't done before or go to a depth that they've never been able to reach. Just try and get some kind of advantage over the other person. Kyle O'Reilly, very proficient in multiple forms of combat, especially Brazilian jiu-jitsu and those kind of things. So he's going to try and aim for a much more ground-based game, uh, possibly with quite a few holds to wear them down. But he's also not adverse to the odd bit of high-flying. Whereas Adam Cole, he'll definitely try and manipulate his opponent's body, uh, grapple it to get him where he wants them, and use his strikes to just try and end the match as quickly as possible. Or inflict as much damage. You know, it's hard to tell which way Adam Cole wanted to go with this match from the start. This match stayed inside the ring for less than a minute. Had to have been. Uh, It really did not take long for them to start using the barricade and environment to their advantage. Um, Kyle here is obviously fueled by so much betrayal, pent up aggression, anger. And that is really going to be fueling him in this match. But you could see that Adam Cole is heartless and he was very desperate to push the outside fighting of this match to the point where he actually did push Kyle O'Reilly off the top turnbuckle, taking a very, very nasty fall and possibly re-injuring the neck because you know that that is a weakness um, for Kyle O'Reilly. And the reason this match is unsanctioned is because Riley was not medically cleared. So you know that that has a huge target on for someone as intense and calculating as Adam Cole. The barricades around ringside became a very popular early weapon to use, but Adam Cole quickly went under the ring and started to bring out some toys. One of the chairs, possibly more than one actually as the match progressed, but one of the first chairs they brought out had the Undisputed Era logo on the seat. And as cool as that looked, I can't think of any way to further symbolise the fact that the Undisputed Era is done. Like, you know, I'm not just hitting you with a chair. I'm hitting you with a chair with our former logo on it. Like, this is in your face. We're done. This is never coming back. And Adam did not hold back with his swings at all. Cole, obviously, having already identified the neck as a target, decided that a chair shot to the head or chest, it's not going to do it. He needed to hit Kyle O'Reilly in the back of the neck with the chair, and that really did put Adam Cole in full control of the match. Uh, Kyle, when the match did eventually return to the ring, uh, tried to use a good um, armbar submission to try and just get some kind of advantage over Adam Cole, but... Possibly the damage has already been taken. Adam was able to lift Kyle O'Reilly onto his shoulders, toss him over and take the, his knee and connect it right with the back of Kyle O'Reilly's neck for an Ushi Garoshi. And you know, that's going to have such an impact. It's a move that AJ Styles has used for quite a while to set up for a few finishing moves. So with an already injured neck, you know it's going to have even greater damage. Then the usual side of Adam Cole came out. Uh, We heard the trash talk and 
you know, Cole telling Kyle O'Reilly that he's nothing without the Undisputed Era, or he wasn't even technically part of it. The Undisputed Era was Adam Cole, in Adam Cole's opinion. But this just fueled someone with the passion of Kyle O'Reilly to the point where that knee breaker, knee strike, apologies, to the gut of Adam Cole really was a fantastic way to try and regain um, the control of the match. And then this is where we saw the striking ability of Kyle O'Reilly come into play. And he really did manage to take control using a good combination of strikes. Uh, they have went to the outside and Adam Cole, <laughs> conveniently for him almost at first, landed in the seat that Kyle O'Reilly had already set up. Kind of fortuitous until you realise that Kyle O'Reilly saw this as an advantage and ran as fast as he could and absolutely nailed the drop kick right to Adam Cole. As Wade Barrett said, or one of the commentators said at least, unfortunate time to take a seat. The next big weapon of choice that did come into play quite a lot as this match progresses was a steel chain, almost like um, you'd have to lock up massive gates on a farm, I would imagine, and pure, it had to be a good couple inches thick in diameter, and that really became a good, I say good, a strategic landing pad for Adam Cole's neckbreaker. Um, you know, because a neckbreaker is dangerous enough at the best of times. But when you're Kyle O'Reilly, who has a damaged neck, and you're taking that onto a chain, that's just going to add even more to the move and really make you wish that you'd probably stayed in bed today. But if you're Kyle O'Reilly, you don't spend that much time around someone as devious as Adam Cole and not pick up a few tricks of your own. Um, O'Reilly managed to regain some kind of advantage and he wrapped the chain around his leg to use it to further impact his kicks to Adam Cole's chest and face. But with the chain being so long, it did mean that there was enough of it left for Adam Cole to pull it and drop Kyle O'Reilly, kind of protecting himself, but also trying to regain some kind of advantage. Kyle O'Reilly did not let this minor trip affect him. Uh, he went for a, what almost seemed to be a kind of last shot strike or something along those lines to the back of Adam Cole. But as he came off the ropes, Cole was quick thinking enough to pull the chain, which had been previously tied to the top rope, and create a little clothesline with the chain directly to the throat of Kyle O'Reilly, which was then followed up by a backstabber. And you have to know that with that combination of moves, the wind has to be out of Kyle O'Reilly's body, and he really, really could do with Adam Cole taking it a little bit easy on him for now. Adam Cole, however, was never going to grant Kyle O'Reilly such luxuries. Um, Kyle tried to regain control as much as he could, but again, the neck issues constantly came into play. A lot of stuff you do, even if you don't realise it, really does involve your neck. It's quite a good source of power, sometimes at least body control. And Adam Cole managed to capitalise and get Kyle O'Reilly sat in a chair and nailed him with a shining wizard. A move which I absolutely love, probably use myself, but with the chair it's just even more effective. The intensity carried on between these two, it yet again went to the outside and the steel steps had been separated by Adam Cole 
And you could see the thought process going through Adam Cole's mind. He was going to attempt to end Kyler Rai's career again with another brain buster on the steel steps. But obviously, Kyler Rai is not going to fall for it twice. You know, he knows Adam Cole, he knows that was always going to be an issue. So Kyler Rai was able to counter. And it looked like we were going to see a payback brain buster onto steel steps. But the good nature, I want to say, and the character change uh, to become a good person of Kyler Riley meant that he did not have the ability to go through with the brain buster on the steps and let Adam Cole go. But even though the steps were out of bounds, Kyler Riley had no issue with clearing the top of the announce table and trying to you know, use that as a potential weapon. It's a thing we see much more often and you, know, you can do more impactful things on there, I believe. Both men had taken quite a lot of damage by this point in the match and there was a little bit of hesitation which ended in Adam Cole being suplexed on the end of the table and... The table did not break. I honestly thought it was going to, and that that hurts more, to be honest, if it doesn't break. And it was really up to Adam Cole now to figure out a way back into this match because Kyle O'Reilly, he seemingly had Cole's number, at, at least at this point anyway. Adam Cole used the break from the impact that Kyle O'Reilly would also have suffered from delivering the suplex to make his way out past the timekeeper's area and into what would be the WWE NXT universe. Kyle O'Reilly saw Adam Cole sulking off and assumed that maybe this was his chance to take advantage. Cole's retreating like a dog with his tail between his legs almost, and he's going to go over there now and just do his absolute best to continue this onslaught. But sadly, that that was not the case. Adam Cole knew exactly what he was doing. He lured Kyle O'Reilly into a trap and hit him square in the face with a TV monitor. Vic Joseph at this point had to control himself because that move and shot was so unexpected that the only words he said on commentary was holy and then he cut off. I think you can all fill in the gaps of where he was about to go with that sentence because I myself said it while watching that as well. Adam Cole, being the sadistic man that he can be, seems to have a toolbox under the ring. And God knows what he had put in it. But he eventually tried to, it looked like, use a pair of pliers to take Kyle O'Reilly's eye out. Luckily, O'Reilly was able to counter that, and Adam Cole thought better of it, and went to find a different weapon of sorts. Kyle O'Reilly was then able to use a big rebound lariat to try and regain some advantage and use the chain that had been introduced previously to use a armbar and then transition to a triangle choke to attempt to add extra leverage and force behind the submission hold and get Adam Cole to tap out. Now Adam Cole he's not going to give up easily he had found a tire iron in his toolbox previously and hit Kyle O'Reilly square in the chest while in the triangle choke. And that was more than enough, understandably, to break the hold. 
this match then seems to, as if it was possible, take an even more personal stance for at least a few seconds. Uh, they sat directly opposite each other in their own chairs, were just trash-talking while hitting the other person in the face. Um, you don't need to do anything fancy, you don't need to do these big moves. That is a spot in a match that just speaks volumes. It's not something you see very often, and it's always, look, I've had enough. Now, we're just going to hit each other and see who really is going to be the last man standing in this aspect. Kyle O'Reilly was fortunately the one that managed to get the upper hand of this strike and trash talk exchange, which led to Adam Cole being Adam Cole. And, you know, they're not friends anymore, so Adam Cole nailed Kyle O'Reilly with a low blow, super kick combination, which honestly, that could have ended most matches. And no no rules in this match, as you can clearly tell by how the rest of it has been. But somehow, Kyle O'Reilly was able to kick out at two. This led to Adam Cole being more desperate than he really had been. Um, he wrapped one of the chairs around Kyle O'Reilly's neck. And we've seen things like this go horribly wrong before. You know, if you want to end someone's career, that's a good way to do it. Because it can very easily break their neck, if not their voice box, and anything there. The referee was pleading with Adam Cole, please don't. Don't do this. It's a, it's a very bad idea. Cole's adrenaline filled. He turned around, knocked the referee absolutely out cold. Adam was then able to capitalise on the low blow superkick combination. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly was out of the chair, but Adam managed to hit the Panama Sunrise. And normally, I, I believe that would have been the end of the match there. But not 30 seconds prior, Adam Cole took the referee out. That's his own vice. His own fault should have controlled his emotions and, you know, he cost himself there. With the referee taken out, well, there's absolutely no way that this match is going to end. So, what's the next best thing to do? Well, continue to try and take the other person's career away, I suppose. Both men go onto the entrance ramp and Kyle O'Reilly locks in a guillotine hold. And at this point, I can't tell whether... Adam Cole countered the move with a spine buster, or he passed out and just dropped to the floor. But either way, both men went through one of the metal grates on the ramp and just fell straight to the floor. This honestly looked like it could have been the end for both men in that match. But Adam Cole, I'm assuming it must have been a counter because somehow he was first out of the ring. Maybe he didn't take as much impact from going through the floor as Kyle O'Reilly did, as he was the one really sandwiched between the floor and Adam Cole. But Cole seems fired up now, and he knew exactly where Kyle O'Reilly was, and instead of pulling him out over the top, nah, it's too easy. He decided that the only way to get Kyle O'Reilly out was to smash and kick a hole in the side of the ramp big enough to drag Kyle O'Reilly's almost lifeless corpse through and try to inflict much more damage just in case the referee decided to be up again anytime soon. Adam Cole's sadistic side had really been unleashed at this point. Uh, he grabbed Kyle O'Reilly right back by the announce table and hit another brain buster 
on the steel steps. And this is what made Kyle O'Reilly get stretched out beforehand. Um, but this time, we'll see, there's a match to end. And it has to end in the ring. I'm assuming we're still the rules for that match. That seemed to be where it did end. And Kyle O'Reilly was rolled into the ring. And maybe this time was enough for him to come back to his senses a little bit. Because as soon as the referee counted two, well, those shoulders were up. Lord knows how they were, but the match carried on. Adrenaline at this point was clearly flowing through the veins of Kyle O'Reilly. Because Adam Cole decided, the only way I'm going to end this is to hit my Panama Sunrise. And, you know, he was nearly able to. But Kyle O'Reilly countered it into a phenomenal neckbreaker massive chest kick to Adam Cole and then hit a last shot of his own and you could just feel the sense of vindication and pride that Kyle O'Reilly would have felt if Adam Cole was unable to kick out of his own finishing move but Adam Cole being the tough veteran that he is managed to kick out of his last shot at two. Kyle O'Reilly at this point absolutely fed up with everything that was going on. Adam Cole had previously set up a steel chair upside down, so the legs were sticking up in the air. And Colorado's having none of this. He hit Adam Cole with a retaliation low blow, placed Adam's chest and neck on the legs of the chair, sticking up, wrapped the chain around his knee, dived, off the middle rope, connecting clean with the back of the neck, head and shoulder blades, flattening the chair completely, taking Adam Cole out, and, you know, it was academic from there. There was absolutely no way that Adam Cole was kicking out of that. With the main event of NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver Night 2 officially in the books, it's time for my final thoughts on both nights. Um, I think both nights were phenomenal nights of action. Um, WWE pay-per-views especially have kind of been almost lacklustre without the crowd and half their roster. I mean, you know, they've done the best of what they can, but these last two nights have really proved just what they can do when they really put their mind to it. Um, every match on the card, even the pre-show ones, lived up to all potential that they had and no one was really oh here have a 30 second match you know whatever everyone was given an equal space on the card and they all brought their a game to be honest i mean it's wrestlemania week if you don't bring your a game now when are you ever going to bring it but now i do have a few questions that you know maybe we'll answer over the coming weeks and months maybe we won't we'll have to see First question is what will happen to the former members of the Undisputed Era? We've seen Roderick Strong said he's done with everything. What did that mean? No idea. Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole. It looks to me that their beef has to be settled. You can't go anywhere from there. Will they reconcile in the future? Again, who knows. But Kyle O'Reilly, watch out for him. He's going to be a champion one day. With a singles champion, I see it. But then the main question. This is WrestleMania week. 
This is the time for surprises. Are we going to see any main roster moves? And will they happen at WrestleMania? Will they happen at the Raw after? And what will the condition of fans be in the upcoming shows? I don't know. All those questions will have to be answered. I have been your host, Jack Witch, Dr. Witcher. I believe I forgot to introduce myself at the start. Absolutely fine. You know who I am. I will see you at the end of WrestleMania Night 1. Until then, enjoy yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs>